This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, uh, it is interesting that we have so many members of our military that return home from serving overseas each and every year, yet there is seemingly a bit of a disconnect with many of the people that they have to deal with when they come back home. While in the military, and really especially in battle, you rely on other soldiers. They do become your brothers and sisters. They're almost like, as Sebastian Junger would talks about in his book, they're like a tribe looking out for each other. But it isn't necessarily the case happening here in the United States. He delves into this issue, as we mentioned, in his book, Tribe. And Sebastian joins us on the show right now. Sebastian, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, this is a, an interesting interesting book. And reading it, the backstory is this kind of plays off an article that you wrote for Vanity Fair a year or so ago, correct? Yeah, I, I started this idea about a year ago in Vanity Fair. Um, I thought that one way of uh, understanding modern society, not just America, but modern society in general throughout the world, is to look at it through the eyes of people who are coming back to it, who are returning to it, and seeing it with fresh eyes. And, of course, veterans are a great uh, example of that, as are uh, Peace Corps volunteers and some other people. And so the transition from an arguably harder circumstance in war back to the sort of luxury of modern society, uh, the fact that that transition is actually hard rather than easy says a lot about what is missing in modern society. And as you said, it greatly affects veterans who might be struggling with psychological issues. So what, what, what are the majority of Americans missing in terms of their understanding of of what these people are going through and 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 helping them reacclimate themselves to 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 this society over here well we humans evolved to live in groups of 40 or 50 people in a harsh environment totally reliant on one another for their safety and their for their emotional needs um and obviously modern society doesn't exist like that anymore and there's a great loss in that and and you can if you look at mental health rates, um, suicide, the suicide rate goes up with income. As societies get wealthier, the suicide rate climbs. Uh, the rate of depression climbs. All these things climb with income. Uh, as societies get wealthier, people live more and more individualistic lives, and that actually leaves them psychologically very vulnerable. So you have veterans who have spent a year plus in a platoon, which is about 40 people, 50 people, it basically reproduces our evolutionary past very closely, uh, living in close proximity, sleeping together, eating together, doing everything together. Uh, it doesn't matter if you were in combat or not. Most soldiers are not in combat. Most soldiers actually are not traumatized. Uh, but they're living in these incredibly close, cohesive tribal circumstances. It feels very good yeah. for very ancient reasons. And then they come back, and suddenly they're alone. And they're actually, in some ways, more vulnerable psychologically than they were on the battlefield. It, it is interesting that, you know, people will come back. And obviously, I, I think a majority of those people would have family members. But but even that isn't that, that tribe like it is when you're talking about being in a platoon, correct? Yeah, I mean, family's great. It's very important for psychological health. But community really is the key. Yeah. And you can you can tell that by um, 
you know, again, looking at rates of psychological illness in modern society, most people do live in fa- families, and I, it really doesn't buffer them. Um, what does buffer people is community. And so if you take modern society and you collapse it, for example, during the Blitz in London, um, you know, people sleeping, strangers sleeping shoulder to shoulder on subway platforms, forming bucket brigades to put out burning, you know, fires and burning buildings, yeah. terrible, huge casualties. You'd think that would be psychologically very stressful. It's actually the opposite. The the, the um, admissions rate to psych, psych wards in London went down during the bombings. Uh, as people come together, even to face great hardship and danger, as they come together, they feel essentially they feel better and they do better. I, I guess that's really the, the 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 time now that as you look at our our society that we really do come together. It's it's really only in times of of, of great tragedy or great stress. You know, you, you think about uh, you know some of the videos of. of you know, when a baby falls down a well, I mean, certainly a lot of people in a lot of communities will come to try and help. Uh, you know, I, I think in some respects in the wake of 9-11, a lot of people were, were helping, you know, with all of the injuries and, and what was going on in New York City. But realistically, when you think about it, that's about it, isn't it? Uh, well, interestingly, in New York, yeah, the suicide rate went down. The murder rate went down after 9-11. Um, psychological illness, some kinds of psychological illness improved across the population. So uh, we live, we're very lucky to live in, a, in an affluent society where individuals uh, don't need their community to get by. They're drawing a paycheck. They have a car. They live in a house. They don't need the, the, their immediate community. And the immediate community doesn't, know, doesn't need them. You know, until a tornado comes through, until the floodwaters rise, until a plane crashes into a building, yeah. we're all leaving these sort of se- leading these sort of separate lives, which gives us enormous autonomy. I mean, it's not that it's not without its benefits. Um, but there's a real psychological price to be paid. Um, and um, veterans, obviously, are making this radical transition from a very tightly bonded life to modern life, and it's extremely hard for them. And keep in mind, only only 10% of the military has ever experienced combat. Uh, most right. of the people coming back were not traumatized at all, um, and yet almost half the military has applied for PTSD disability. So there's something going on that doesn't have to do with trauma, that's still deeply affecting these people making the transition. And you talk a little bit in the book about how these men and women coming uh, back after serving for our country, in in many respects, are viewed by communities as damaged goods, correct? I actually don't address that in the in the book. I, you know, okay. I, I think there's, um, I mean, no, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I misunderstood your question. Yeah, in some ways there's a kind of... Um, I wouldn't say damaged goods, but there's a there's a, a, a sort of a bit of a culture of victimhood that I think both, okay. play, both sides play into, which I, I think is actually really um, damaging to the efforts by veterans to reintegrate into quote normal society. Uh, when you're when you're viewed as a special case, uh, when people are sort of tiptoeing around you uh, verbally, uh, when they don't know what to say, like thank you for your service, or do I say nothing, or when you're treated with kid gloves, I think it's very hard to reintegrate into society. Then, then uh, I'll bring up something. We did an interview a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, PwC, and w- the person we had on, uh, and this was right around Memorial Day, former military member who is runs a program for PwC to help former military members become part of that company and kind of ingrain them in in that company, those types of programs, 
How much of a benefit are they? Or is there an element that that's still, you know, not speaking specifically about that one, but that type of a program? How much of a benefit do you see those types of programs being to help this process out to maybe ease the 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 issues that you're talking about? Well, I, you know, what I would say is that that the things that help veterans, uh, I think in some ways we have to we should eventually stop just talking about veterans. Veterans need exactly the same things that everybody needs. Yeah. And, you know, you know, eventually, I mean, people need work. And veteran or not, if you don't have a job, your psychological health is really at risk. Um, people need community. Veteran or not, if you don't have community, again, you're, you're at risk psychologically. So that when we talk about helping the veterans, the bigger conversation is how do we save ourselves? How do we, cha- how do we change society so that, it's psychologically healthy for everybody. Veterans really, in some ways, are not a special case. Uh, I mean, they are, but they're not. I mean, they're, they're emblematic of something that we all face. Um, I start my book with Pontiac's Rebellion in the 1760s in western Pennsylvania. And one of the extraordinary things about that, and this was played out throughout the history of America, was that white captives of the Indians who'd been taken from the settlements by force and adopted into Indian tribes, um, when they, when they were given the chance to be repatriated to white society because of peace, peace treaties and things like that, many of them refused to go. They wanted to stay with their adopted tribal families. Um, and so I look, I look at that and I basically ask, like, what is it about civilization that's so unappealing to people, even to people raised in civilization? It's a really interesting question. And, and it's interesting because seemingly we're, I think we're going to continue to grow even farther apart uh, just uh, thinking about, you know, how this has kind of developed over the last, you know, 30 to 40 years and seemingly with all the technology we have and and the ability to not want to speak with one another or, or make it easier to speak with one another via text or whatever it is, I, I, think, we're, I think we're actually continuing down this path even more. Yeah, I mean, I don't talk at all about social media in my book. I mean, yeah. I, you know. But I think you're exactly right. It, 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 um, the devices that I have a flip phone, by the way, but I walk around wow. looking at people on their devices. And, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it really, it's sort of amazing to me. I mean, and, and, and again, I don't talk about this in the book, but just now that we're having a conversation, I, I can say that the, in my opinion, the danger of social media is that not that it doesn't provide community. It actually, it doesn't provide community, and it, and, but it gives you the illusion that it does. Um, it's even worse than no internet at all, and and in some ways because it seems like you belong to something, but you actually don't, and um, you are literally interacting with pixels on a screen. I mean, when you really look at it, you're in your parents' basement interacting mm-hmm. with pixels. You're not actually having a human uh, a human exchange, and uh, and that I think is very very tricky for us, just in evolutionary terms. Are there are there examples out there right now in amongst the United States of and around the globe as well? of areas where th- there is the kind of that still that 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 tribal mentality of of community of 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 truly being a part of of a greater entity and maybe beyond just you know thinking about American Indians here in the United States yeah i mean native american culture has been um sort of radically damaged by many social ills that came with contact with white society so that's a but but still um they on many of the reservation uh indian reservations in this country they have ceremonies for bringing um 
so veterans back into the community from the wars overseas from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and those ceremonies are they're, they're public. The whole community shows up, and um, and they're extremely therapeutic. I talked to one woman from the Kiowa Nation who deployed to Iraq, and she said her whole her whole community showed up and sort of in full regalia and sort of drummed her out of town and welcomed her home the same way. And she was like, you know, I don't have PTSD. I don't even know what that is. I right. was, she was basically like she deployed with her whole community, and and she was fine. How much though are are other countries? Uh, kind of, do they do they follow that kind of path these days? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's it's something as you alluded to has kind of been almost kind of washed out of, of society in general. But do do other countries still kind of follow the, that type of path? Well, I mean, modern societies are. I mean, the 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 problem with modern societies is that we don't live in communities. We're well affluent enough to not need the community around us in order to survive. As, com- as, as communities get poorer, people depend on one another more and more. Um, rampage shootings, you know what those are. They've, they're yep. the scourge of America in the last 10, 15 years. Um, they happen almost exclusively in pretty dispersed mi- um, middle-class communities. A, a, a high-crime urban neighborhood has never, ever had a, a rampage shooting in this country. Um, there, there, there's something about the alienation of the of the American suburb, which um, somehow does not restrain psychotic individuals from turning violent. It is interesting, though, going back to a point you made uh, before that in in situations where there has been a uh, high stress or or a, you know some sort of military event, uh, that that there is almost an ease to to being. For, for military personnel to being in in the battle or or in that tribe more so than than being back in society that it almost seems counterintuitive that it would be that way but I, I mean I find it interesting that that ends up being the reality for not only a lot of these people but for a lot of people just in general these days yeah and you know keep in mind most soldiers are not in battle I mean they're deployed yeah. and they're in support units um, but Regardless, they're in very, very tightly bonded, cohesive situations, living, breathing, eating, sleeping with a group of 30, 40 people. Again, it's exactly our evolutionary past, and it feels good. Um, And then when disaster strikes modern society, 9-11 in New York, the Blitz in London, there was an earthquake in Avizzano, Italy that I I researched. Um, And in Avizzano, in the rubble, the, the survivors basically made no distinction between rich people and poor people. There was a briefly, the survivors had a completely cohesive society, and one writer said that the earthquake produced what the law promises but cannot, in fact, deliver, which is the equality of all men. I think one of the things that feels very good about disaster is that I saw this in New York City. When disaster strikes, everyone needs each other, and we stop making these awful social distinctions between white and black, rich and poor. uh, we are just all one people because we need each other. That's our evolutionary past. And in some ways, disasters striking modern society in a weird way are kind of a, a, a kind of a relief. What is what is the hope that in in terms of writing this book? And this is you know being kind of a, a, one of several books that you've done. Uh, what is the, is the hope? Well, maybe not even the hope. What is the is the belief? Can can we kind of change the course 
of where we're going with society right now? Can we kind of get back to maybe where we were? And, and you know, I'm not sure where the the high point of of that quote unquote tribal living is here in the in the United States. You know, maybe it's in the 50s or 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 further back. Can we get back to a similar point to that down the road? You know, to go back to tribal life in America, you have to go back pre-white, you know, white contact. I think. Right. I mean, the agrarian society that we had in the 1950s—it really, that really is a, a modern society. Um, uh, there were there were elements of it, though, and you know, I would say after World War II, I mean, World War II saw much, much higher casualties than the current wars, much, much more intense combat, um, and lower rates of psychological trauma. Um, and I, you know, my, my guess is, is that's because people, even then, were coming back to more cohesive neighborhoods. You were more likely to live in the town you were born in amongst your brothers and sisters. You were less likely to be dispersed the way we are today. That dispersal shows an incredible amount of autonomy and independence for individuals, which is great. Uh, but again, the downside, uh, you don't have a community, you don't have that tribal connection, and your psychological struggles are going to be that much harder. You've got a, a line in the book that I wanted to read, which which kind of jumped out at me. Uh, it's contemporary America is a secular society that obviously can't just borrow from Indian culture to heal its own psychic wounds, but the spirit of community healing and connection that forms the basis of these ceremonies is one that a modern society might draw on. Uh, I mean, that's that's the hope that that probably you would like to see out of a lot of a, a lot of situations here, uh, not only around the United States but around the globe. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, the one thing I'm very excited about, if you go to my website, SebastianYounger.com, there's a page on it called Veteran Town Hall. And what, we did this experiment in Marblehead, Massachusetts last year, and it really worked. I had this idea that you could take this common element of Native American ceremonies for warriors, which is this kind of cathartic retelling of what you did on the battlefield for your people, right? It's a very common component of these ceremonies, a sort of dramatic reenacting retelling of what you did. And um, but in, in the context of modern America, but that would happen not in a ceremonial dance ground or something, but in the, in the town hall, the, center, the city hall, the center of civic life in this country is the city hall, the town hall. And basically, every Veterans Day, you unlock the town hall, and veterans of any war, of every war, have the opportunity for 10 minutes to stand up to a microphone and simply tell their community that has come into the room to hear them out what it felt like to go to war. And you're going to have, you're going to have people who are very proud of their service. You're going to have people who are in a rage that they had to fight that war. You're going to have people who are crying too hard to talk. You're going to have all of it. But the beauty of that is that it returns the emotional experience of war. It returns it to the entire community. And, of course, it's the whole community that sent these people off to fight in the first place. It's an incredibly therapeutic thing to do. And if you want to yeah. do one in your town, it doesn't cost a dime. It's so easy. Just go to my website. There's a page for this that tells you how to do it. And you just basically, you get the, you get the doors unlocked on Veterans Day and you get the PA system turned on and do some social media outreach and you're good. I, I was going to say, I, I would bet it probably is a little bit cathartic for, for a lot of the people involved. It's enormously cathartic for the veterans. Um, and But more than that, in some ways, it brings the community together. It makes the point that whether you're pro-war, anti-war, Democrat, Republican, I don't care, 
Yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah. And when people say, I support the troops, I mean, who knows what that means, right? It means <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, but what, what it could mean is that once a year, for a couple of hours, you show up and you listen to the stories of the, of the people who have served this nation. And you can do that as an anti-war pacifist, and you can do it as an ardent patriot. It does not matter. This is not a political event. It's a human event. And it's in, what we found was that it was enormously um, – made the, the, the community in Marblehead very cohesive for a couple of hours. And if we did this all over the country, I think yeah. we might regain something that I think many agree has been lost in, during this campaign season, this idea that we are a nation – I think that's almost coming into question now, and we need to do something. Well, and, and that, that does bring it up. Uh, I did want to bring it up at some point is the fact that, you know, you see it on your on your TV screens every day is that, you know, what we've got going on now as a as a country in our political system just continues to show that our focus is not on a lot of times on the people. It's on the the being the entity of of being president of the United States and as we've seen it, it's more about teardown than it is build up. Yeah, I mean, I make the point in my book that um, tribal communities, because they depend on each other to survive, um, they have disagreements, they have disputes, they have people don't like each other. I mean, you know, it's a it's human society, so it's a it's a mess, of course. But the one thing that they don't do is harbor contempt and derision for the people they depend on, the people inside the wire, as it were. Um, you see that in platoons also. I mean, you know, there's plenty of problems in a platoon, but the one thing the soldiers do not do is mock other soldiers in their unit that they, that they might depend on for their lives. And when politicians do that, when media figures do that, when, when, people, when powerful people are, are, are contemptuous and derisive of the president, of the government, of, of segments of the population, uh, when you're doing that about people that are inside the wire, basically, like you are really undermining this country. And I say that whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't yeah. care. There's a, a code of conduct and um, it's being violated and it's extremely dangerous. Uh, Sebastian, it's a really interesting book. Thank you very much for giving us some of your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, and the website is SebastianYounger.com. Uh, you can find out more. The book is Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. Uh, thank you very much again for, for spending part of your day with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.